listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Your pastor has not lost his mind, contrary to popular opinion, maybe. Um, Today is the first Sunday in Advent, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And Advent is actually the very first day of the new church calendar, the church year, this other kind of calendar that the church follows, which aligns with the life of Jesus Christ. So, Happy New Year. There we go. There it is. Advent is this, it comes from this, this word adventus, it's Latin, and it, it means arrival. So during Advent, we are preparing for the arrival of Jesus at, at Christmas. But you'll notice if, if you follow along with some of the texts for each of these next few Sundays, you'll see that many of them are not just about Jesus' first arrival, but his second arrival, his second coming. So Jesus is coming back for us. And in line with that, we're kicking off a a series here called Wait For It. The Christian life is all about waiting. Oftentimes, life feels like a big existential waiting room. And for the Christian, this is even more the case. Like, Christianity is is a future-oriented faith. In that, we get the foretaste and glimpses and glimmers of God's kingdom here on earth, yes, but ultimately we, w- we await the consummation and the fullness of those promises. So what do we do? Well, well we wait for it. We are waiting for all good things to be fulfilled. We're waiting for hope and for peace and for joy and for love. Traditionally, which are the four words that are associated with each of the Advent candles, today being hope. So wait for it. We're waiting for many different things. And today, we're talking about Christ's second coming, His return. So I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. And this comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your promises 
which are reliable and trustworthy and do not change. We thank you for the hope we have of your return. God, I pray that you would be present here among us this morning, that you would, your Holy Spirit would move through your word in our hearts and in our minds. God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the game plan for today. Just three simple points derived from our text. Point number one, Jesus is coming back. Point number two, we don't know when. And point number three, we should be ready. That's the game plan. That's our roadmap for this morning. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, and we should be ready. So number one, Jesus is, is coming back. If you've been a Christian for long, and even if you haven't, you're likely familiar with the Apostles' Creed, or at least parts of it. It's this common statement of belief that Christians have professed for thousands of, of years. And the second article of the Apostles' Creed deals with Jesus Christ, the Son. I believe these words are probably familiar to, to many of you. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And if you jump ahead, we say He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. And as Christians, we believe and confess that Jesus came to earth once at Christmas, but also that he is coming back. Why? To judge the living and the dead. And we'll get to that judgment in a moment, because it's important. But what I want to draw our attention to and ask us to do, first of all, is can we just take a moment to marvel at the fact that our Heavenly Father is coming back for us at all? Like, can we just pause to appreciate that truth, that, that He's coming back for us, that He refuses to abandon us? Many of us have heard and confessed, and we believe and we know Jesus is coming back, right? We get it. But how often, we hear those words so many times that they kind of lose their magic in a way. They lose their power. So do we ever allow ourselves to be captivated by this truth that Jesus is coming back to take us Christians to be with Him? In a world full of, of broken homes, where kids can't always trust that when dad goes out the door in a fit of rage that he's coming back. In a world where marriage vows oftentimes have lost their meaning. In a world where prodigals leave their families and fathers and mothers abandon their kids, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally. In a world like that, Jesus, he marches in and he makes this unshakable promise. He says, I'm coming back for you. Just wait for it. Wait for it. So Jesus is coming back. Why? Judgment. Let's talk about that. This morning's passage is part of a, a much broader text, and it begins at verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching them about a number of things. 
one of them being the end times. And he's talking about the destruction of the temple and signs of the end of the age. The sun will be darkened. The moon won't give its light. Stars will fall from heaven. It's all really, really epic stuff, almost like a scene out of War of the Worlds or something. The Old Testament calls this the day of the Lord. It's sometime in the future when Jesus will return to make this, this final separation between believers and non-believers. In other words, on the day of judgment, believers will go to be with Jesus and spend eternity with Him, whereas non-believers will go to the place of punishment, hell, which is eternal separation from God. God being the source of all love and, and all things good and mercy and forgiveness. And those who end up in hell are those who reject all of that. Say, I want nothing to do with it. It's a horrible, terrible, painful place. The wages of sin is death, and that doesn't just mean physical death. It's spiritual too. So in this passage, when Jesus is talking about judgment, he makes a comparison to the Old Testament, to the story of Noah. Noah and the ark, that's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. You remember how the story of Noah goes. God basically looks around and says, all right, uh, human beings are terrible. They're horrible to each other, they're horrible to themselves, and they are horrible to me. They think nothing and do nothing but evil all of the time. So I'm going to send a flood to wipe them out and to wipe all of creation out and start all over. But I'm also going to have mercy. This man Noah, he trusts in me. So I'm going to put him and his family and the animals on an ark. And suddenly... When people least expect it. Everyone in the earth is, is just going around. That they're, they're marrying and giving in marriage and, and doing all of the normal things in life that, that we always do. And without warning, the flood comes, washes everything away. That's what Jesus says the final day of judgment is going to be like. Two men in, will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. You can hear how, how sudden and how final the separation is. Two women at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. And just a few verses later, Jesus, he tells the parable of the, the sheep and the goats, how the shepherd will come in and make this final separation between the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other. This, this separation and this judgment being final. Now, judgment isn't necessarily bad. We think of it this way a lot of times. We have this connotation like don't be judgy, right? That's a, a negative term. But if you ever watched a courtroom drama or Judge Judy or something along those lines, right? You'll remember that judgment can go in one of two ways. You can be judged. The judge can decide against you or the judge can decide in your favor, right? And if the judge decides in your favor, then that sound of the gavel pounding down is the sweetest sound in the world, isn't it? See, that is how Christians wait for the final judgment. Since our sins have been placed on the shoulders of Christ, and at the cross He was judged in our place, we have nothing to fear. 
we are forgiven and salvation is ours. Jesus hasn't abandoned us. He's coming back for us. And for the Christian, that should, should fill us with all sorts of, of hope. So that's point number one. Jesus is coming back. Point number two, we don't know when. Our text today is crystal clear on this. In fact, I would argue that this is the main point of the entire passage that we're reading this morning. We don't know when. Listen to, listen to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, talking about the day and hour of judgment, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Who knows? No one. <laughs> That's pretty clear. No matter what, Christ's return is going to catch us by surprise. In fact, even Jesus doesn't know. Only God the Father. That sounds strange, doesn't it? I mean, I thought Jesus knew everything. But this isn't a slam against Jesus. He is fully God, which means He is omniscient. He has all knowledge. His knowledge has no limits. Remember, though, Jesus has two natures. He has His divine nature. He is fully God. And He has His human nature. He is fully human. And insofar as His human nature is concerned, the only time, excuse me, insofar as His human nature is concerned, the time of His return has not been revealed to Him. Only the Father knows, not the angels, not Jesus, and certainly not us. Let me say that one more time, in case you missed it. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And we can't know. We can't know. But that sure hasn't stopped us from speculating, has it? Church history is riddled with people who were certain they could calculate the date and the hour of Christ's return based on supposed clues from Scripture. Spoiler alert, none of them were right. In the mid-19th century, a man by the name of William Miller emerged as the leader of the Millerite movement. He thought he could calculate the exact date of Christ's return by using the Bible as a kind of mathematical textbook. One author describes his reasoning. Daniel 8.14 promises, Until 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. If days means years, if the cleansing of the sanctuary means Christ's return, and if that 2,300-year period began with the order to rebuild Jerusalem in 457 B.C., then a simple calculation showed that Christ would return in glory in the year 1843. William Miller preached his message all over the U.S. It was crazy popular. He sold over 14 million copies, excuse me, 4 million copies of his publications over the next four years. As the day of his prediction approached, people gathered in droves all across the country, their hopes and expectations high. One historian recounts the overwhelming sadness felt on the day when his prophecy didn't come true. 
He says, the crushing emptiness of the great disappointment could not be denied. One person who was there said it like this, our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. We wept and wept till the day dawned. You see, things like this are not harmless. They can damage our faith and our witness. They make Christians a laughing stock in a in a totally unnecessary way, not in a way like the foolishness of God is wiser than, than human wisdom. We, we know that. The gospel in itself is already foolishness to the world. We don't need to add reasons to look foolish. We're not called to be spe- spiritual meteorologists, reading the signs of the times and trying to correlate events in the newspaper with biblical passages. In fact, when we do it, it can be a distraction from serving our neighbor. Because all of that is God's job. His word is crystal clear here. We don't know and we can't know when Jesus is returning. The only certain thing is that it's going to catch us by surprise. So, if we're not called to be spiritual meteorologists, the question naturally arises, how then should we spend our time? That brings us to our third and final point for today. We should be ready. We should be ready. Listen to verses 42 through 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Stay awake. That's the call. When I was younger, I used to look forward to New Year's Eve like nobody's business, right? Like, New Year's Eve was awesome because you got to stay up until midnight. I mean, I got to eat almond bark. Does anybody know what that is? Almond bark? Is it just me? Almond bark and uh, sparkling cider and... All of these wonderful things, and like as a, as a kid, this is the height of luxury, right? You stay up till midnight, and you get, you get excited. You get to watch the ball drop on, on television, and it's just a, a, a lot of fun. And so you, you, would, you didn't even have to try to stay awake. Now, as I've gotten older, uh, my opinions toward New Year's Eve have changed a little bit. Around 7 p.m., I'm all gung-ho. I'm like, yeah, let's do this thing all night long. Uh, and then 10 o'clock rolls around, and I'm like, well, it's going to be 2023 tomorrow anyway, right? So do I really need to stay up for this? Is it worth it, right? The longer that you wait, the harder it is to stay awake and watchful and hopeful. And this is true of Jesus' second coming as well. The more the years go by, the easier it is to get apathetic and to just fall asleep. I mean, sure, we'll acknowledge, yes, Jesus is coming again. We confess this. But let's be honest. We treat that promise more like a fairy tale than an actual fact. I mean, what are the chances Jesus is actually going to come back before I finish this sermon? Well, if today is anything like yesterday or the day before or the day before that, chances are pretty slim. But that's the thing about the Christian faith, is we live by faith and not by 
sight. We live by hope in God's Word rather than our own experiences. Jesus is coming back soon, and that means we as Christians should live in a constant state of readiness, of being ready. Now, that sounds wonderful, but what in the world does that mean? What does spiritual readiness and being prepared look like? Well, in basketball, there's this thing called the triple threat position. So, if I had a basketball, I'd be like this. And what that means is you can do three different things, right? You can, you can pass it, you can shoot it, you can dribble it. So, you're, you're ready there. You are poised and you are, you are prepared to do anything to react to your defender, right? So, this is the, the triple threat position. So, spiritually speaking, what is, what is this... What does this look like as we wait and as we are prepared and, and as we are ready for God? Well, the text itself doesn't speak directly to this, but it, the next few verses do. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to verses 45 through 51 of Matthew 24. It says this, "'Who then is the faithful and wise servant?' whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very sobering message here. And we might put it like this. Readiness means faithfully stewarding God's gifts as we love Him and serve our neighbors. Readiness looks like faithfully stewarding God's gifts as we love Him and serve our neighbors. In other words, readiness looks like us faithfully discharging our duties. So, for example, if you're a parent out there, readiness for you looks like faithfully raising your kids according to God's Word, bringing them to church, and reminding them of the good news of the gospel every single chance that you get. And it looks like not exasperating your kids, as it says in Colossians 3.21. Man, working on that one. If you're a kid, readiness looks like honoring your father and mother, listening and obeying rather than rolling your eyes. If you're an employee, readiness looks like being a good worker, doing your job well, treating your coworkers and clients with, with respect and integrity. If you're a church leader, readiness looks like faithfully shepherding God's flock loving His people and seeking to do all that we can to bring the unchanging message of the gospel to an ever-changing world. And as Christians, readiness looks like daily repentance and prayer, living God-honoring lives and basking in the freedom of His unconditional love and forgiveness. See, being ready for Christ's return it doesn't mean that we just drop everything, put on our binoculars and like start staring at the clouds as we, we wait for Jesus to show up. 
But it does mean that we live in such a way that if Jesus did show up right here and now, like a thief in the night, as Scripture says, he would find us faithfully stewarding the gifts and discharging the duties that he's given us. So, just to review, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, and we should be ready. Advent is a, a season of, of waiting, preparing. Maybe you find yourself in a season of waiting right now. You feel like you're kind of waiting for God to show up, waiting for things to get better, for relationships to be reconciled, for health to be restored, for the market to change, for your prodigal to come home. For the cloud of anxiety and depression to dissipate. For all wrong things to be made right. Well, if that's the case, then you need to know this. Jesus is with you in the waiting room. He's not just on the other side of it. Waiting until you get done with this phase. He is there with you here and now. He has not abandoned you. His nail-scarred hands are always outstretched toward you. So when the days grow dark and the hours long, may you remember that the light is coming. And may you cling to the promise of Habakkuk 2.3. Listen to this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.